listening to My Morning Cup, a podcast that features interesting conversations with genuine people. I'm your host, Mike Costa of Costa Media Advisors. My guest this week is Tom Cupo. Tom started his career not sure what he wanted to do. He tried his hand at a number of different things, including working in the family construction business before he found a home in hospitality. Tom, welcome to My Morning Cup. Before we talk about how you found your passion in hospitality, let me ask, what's in your morning cup? Well, first, thanks for having me. And uh, my morning cup is always a, a dark roast, a little bit of cream. And we don't talk until we have our coffee. <laughs> Has your routine changed since you moved into the country? Uh, you know, absolutely. I love being out there, uh, but we are 20 minutes from everywhere that I want to be at times. <laughs> and uh, we have a great house, but you can't walk 50 feet without seeing a project. But that's good for me because I like to keep busy. Well, Tom, as a former neighbor, I know you couldn't walk 50 feet without seeing a project <laughs> <laughs> because you are one busy fella. How did that translate into uh, your career goals? So you grew up in New Jersey. Where'd you go to school? I lived in Hawthorne, went to Hawthorne High School, and then I went to a two-year school that featured flight technology. And that's, at the time, I thought what I wanted to do, it sounded really cool, but you really nailed it in the beginning when you said I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And as you get older and you start to see things, you realize you need to find your passion. And how do you find your passion? That's always the trick. Yeah, but it sounds like flight was probably a passion. A couple other people we've talked to on the podcast, Chip Baker and Mickey McCamish, both went to school to be pilots. And uh, I think you're the third one we've had that actually has that training. You got your pilot's license, didn't you? Yeah, I do. And I'm, I'm glad you said that I have my pilot license and that I'm not a pilot. So <laughs> Once a pilot, always a pilot. You know, it's a challenging career. It takes a lot of time, a lot of hours, a lot of effort. It's hard to do 50 other things while you're being a pilot. Uh, you don't want to be a weekend pilot. It's, it's not like golf where you could slice one into the woods and then throw down and say, I got another mulligan coming. So it, it requires a lot of effort. There's no mulligans in the air? Absolutely not. No slicing into the <laughs> woods as you're flying? No. no. So you went to the flight school. You got your license. And at that point, did you say, I need to dedicate more to this? or I knew the direction was either military uh, I was starting to rack up some hours, but it's also starting to rack up some bills. So I thought I would take some time off, get some money, pay the uh, tuition fees and the flight fees that I had at that point, and then kind of catch up and get a plan. Well, that plan never happened because things start to move really fast. I had a couple of different jobs working with family, uh, as you mentioned, but the construction business goes up and down. And that wasn't something that I was liking. I met my wife and I said, well, I better get serious. I better go get a job. And uh, one thing led to another and I started doing different things. I've known you a while now and I did not know you had a family construction business. What type construction was it? Most of my family, my father's family, were in uh, different renovations, building and construction in general. My older brother had a renovations business and I worked with him probably late in high school, through college. It was mostly summer work and it was always labor work, but I always took advantage and tried to learn something every day that, that I could figure something out. Now, my father was not in construction. He was in sales, and he had uh, maybe multiple different businesses. But what my father always said to me was, your work ethic 
in your attitude. That's what you can control. That's what no one can ever take from you. If you're not the smartest person in the room, doesn't matter. You can outwork anyone in a room. And he always believed that, and he always instilled that in all of us. That's a good way to be. I read the Daily Stoic, and that's very much a Daily Stoic uh, axiom. It's the only thing you control is how you react to things and your attitude. Yeah, and as far as passion goes, you know, sometimes people say, well, you find your passion, you never work another day in your life. I think it's just the opposite. <laughs> you find your passion and you're going to work seven days a week because it's fun. Why would you not want to do it? Yeah, you're going to work a lot harder and you're not going to see it so much as work. And my learning style was very kinesthetic. And looking at books and trying to figure things out was never uh, working for me. So after conversations with my dad about that, he said, go get another job. You learn something everywhere you go. And it doesn't mean you have to stay there for the rest of your life, but go there and learn something. Learn about the business. Learn how they do it. So I did. You mentioned I had multiple positions, and I did. I worked at different places. Talk about some of those. Take me through the path of once you started and until you found your passion in the hospitality industry. What were some of those things you did and you, what you learned along the way? Well, I shifted uh, as far as schooling, and I wanted to do some business. So I had some classes in business. And then I worked for a commercial laundry. And some people say, well, why would you do something like that? Well, it was a small family-owned business. The uh, owner was from Dartmouth. He was really sharp. He understood a lot about business. He understood how we can take money to the bottom line when you didn't have any money on the top line. You know, when the business is operating and you're making a lot of money, it covers a lot of mistakes. A lot of things can really go in your favor. But when the business is tough, how do you be profitable? So he taught me a lot of that. I wasn't there a long time. From there, I was looking and I was offered a position with Best Foods Baking Group. So that was CPC International. And I thought, well, this is a big company. They have profit sharing. They have all these things. Uh, maybe this is it for me. And I went there and it was manufacturing, but I was still in that facilities type uh, work. And not that it was bad. It was good. Uh, the culture is a little bit different because they're very high-end, very fast. Everything has to happen fast, and it was all about profitability. And it was a pretty far travel from my home where I wanted to be. What kind of food were they baking? Uh, Best Foods Baking Group was Arnold Bread. Arnold Bread, okay. So I got to see production. There was five lines, and you know, there's like between 30 and 60 loaves of bread per minute come off of those lines. Wow. And if it's not that fast, they want to know why. <laughs> What did you learn there? Well, I learned about high speed, learned about productivity. I learned how to incentivize your team, how to get your team motivated, what motivates teams. And it was a union atmosphere. So I learned a lot about the unions and I, I got a, a much better understanding about that also. Yeah. You know, one of the things you said, and a couple of people I've talked to have said the same thing. You didn't necessarily have a plan. You just took the job that was in front of you did the best you could, learned as much as you could, and then when the next opportunity came knocking. I would encourage anyone uh, to do the same thing. If you're with a company for six months or six years or 30 years, every single day go in there with a good attitude and try to achieve the goals of the owner. Understand that. What are the goals of the business? And work on that. And you'll learn just by doing it. But you'll also be helpful for them. And in turn, they're going to mentor and help you, too, because they're going to see that you're, you're that person that's trying to help. Yeah, and I think that's something that escapes a lot of people, particularly as a lot of consolidation comes along and corporations get bigger, that you've got to make yourself as valuable as you possibly can. 
That's an absolute. And that's an everyday thing. Again, I'm right back to work ethic <laughs> and attitude. When you wake up in the morning, no one can make you cranky. No one can make you mean. You do that to yourself. Look in the mirror, say, all right, let's go. We're ready. Boy, that's something I'm guilty of or was really guilty of for a very long time. That's for sure. And it doesn't help. No. Having a bad attitude does not help in any sense. And if it did, there'd be a lot of rich people out there, right? A great analogy for that is the game of golf. I know I play a lot better, and that's a relative term, if I can keep my attitude under control. But the second that I don't, things can spiral out of control. So where'd you go from best baking? Well, I wanted to leave there and going back a little bit. So I was actually looking in the paper, and I saw this ad about a hotel and conference center that was under renovation. And they were looking for a chief engineer. And by the way, I didn't even know what a chief engineer was, but I read it and it sounded like I could do all this stuff. So I went there and they hired me right on the spot. The property was the Governor Mars Hotel in Conference Center in uh, Marstown, New Jersey. It was not quite a historic hotel, but it was there for a long time and uh, needed a lot of renovations. And they were in the middle of a large, at the time, $11 million renovation. Now, this is back 1989, so that was a lot of money back then. I was there for a short amount of time, and it was family-owned, so I saw the owner almost every day. A lot of the money was his money, so obviously we became close right away. And uh, that was good because I was learning a lot from him. I was learning a lot what was going on. After I was there a short time, I found out that the property was actually in Chapter 11, <laughs> <laughs> and there was a lot of challenges. There was a third party in there that was appointed by the court, but it started to work out because the property really started to turn around as an amazing location. So they hired you as a chief engineer and your background is not engineering. You just had practical knowledge. Yeah. So that's a name that they have in the industry and it's really changed that name. Now it's more call it facilities because we were not engineers. Right. It's a facilities position, maintenance repairer, but my primary job at the time was to coordinate between the contractors and the owner to make sure these things were getting done, getting getting done quickly. And I would imagine the whole finding out that you're in bankruptcy and having that third party. So, yes, you're reporting to the owner, but that third party has a voice, too, because of the courts. They did. And they really appreciated me because of the relationship I was able to build with the owner which I think throughout my career has been uh, a definite plus for me. But again, back to good attitude and good work ethic, what else could they ask for? So they appreciated that on the management side and the owner did. And then I got to see the revenues start coming in. And I was doing one of the projects that was at night and required me to be there late at night. And I didn't have to be, no one told me, but I was there late at night sometimes two o'clock in the morning. Because you were in charge of the project. That's right. So while I was there, I would catch up and spend some time with night audit and just talking to her back and forth and asking questions. And I learned a little more and a little more each night. And then she went on maternity leave and they said, oh, we don't have anyone to do night audit. So I can do night audit, <laughs> and, uh, which was a reach, but I could figure it out. So I was night audit for a short amount of time, but that was the point where I started to understand the business and the industry, and I absolutely fell in love with it. Because you saw the other side, the revenue side, not just the operational side. Well, it started to make sense. And sometimes I hear properties, whether it's our industry or whatever industry, the workers, the managers don't know anything about the financials. They don't know anything about the P&L. And 
some owners take the position of, well, they're not accountants. We don't want them to be accountants. Mm -hmm. But it's so important for everyone to understand the business side of it. And this is a business and we have to achieve these goals because this is really what makes things work. This is how we get our raises. This is how we get incentive. This is how we pay the bills. So how do you get that information to your team on a regular basis? Is that something that you consciously work with your team on in meetings and things like that, explaining? Yes. Uh, so you said meetings. Meetings are so important. And it's not about having a meeting to have a meeting. It's about communication. And first of all, being able to communicate on all different levels. You have to be able to communicate all different ways. Some people prefer text message. Sometimes it's telephone. Sometimes it's a meeting. Sometimes it's face-to-face. -face, whatever it is, if you have to communicate five different ways, make sure you get the message across. Mm -hmm. How long were you at the Morris Hotel? I was there for about uh, five years, and there was a new hotel being built called the AT&T Learning Center, which was about... 10, 15 minutes south from where I was working in Basking Ridge, New Jersey. So that was the world headquarters for AT&T at the time. And AT&T was a huge company. That was just before the Trivestiture, where they broke into three different companies. So uh, they were building what was going to have the most technology of any hotel in the world. So I thought that that was good. And then I talked to them and I found out that Benchmark Hospitality was going to be managing that property. And I talked to a few people in the industry that I knew, and they said, you know what? That's a great company. You should go with them. If you go with them, you'll be a general manager. So I went and interviewed, and five interviews later, they hired me, and I started at AT&T. Never looked back. Yeah. I spent 28 years of my career with that company. They gave me a lot of opportunities to grow my career. And notice how I said they didn't help me grow my career. They gave me <laughs> opportunities. And, right. And that's another important point for students coming up looking for their plan. You build your own career. You make your own choices. If things go wrong, things are going to go wrong. It's never simple. Things will go wrong when they do. How do you react? What do you do next? What's your next step? I like the way you put that. The only one responsible for your career is you. That's right. So while I was there, uh, AT&T, they had changes that were coming but they are also a very powerful company and they wanted everything perfect. So this property was run like a five-star hotel. If there was a chip of paint somewhere, they wanted it fixed, no matter what was going on. And they would say things like, we don't care how much it costs. This is the way it has to be because in their business model was to be the best. And that's what was important. To them. And they wanted to convey that they were the best. Well, let's talk about your benchmark career. You got in with Benchmark with the AT&T Hotel. What year was that? And then where did it take you? That was in 1995. And I was there for uh, just about five years. And I was on their executive committee, and I was the director of property operations. So partly because it was AT&T, partly because uh, there was different style of management. But they had a division called Global Real Estate. And that's another thing that I learned. So when you're a management company, you're focused on the operation. When you are an owner operator, now you have two businesses. You have the asset that you have to take care of and protect. And you also have the operation that you have to run. And, and they both have to be profitable. Now, the asset part of it sometimes takes a little bit longer because that's real estate, but no one wants to buy a building for $20 million and then sell it for 10. Mm -hmm. At one time, I forget exactly how it happened, but we were talking about education and next steps for me. And they recommended that myself and a general manager, because of my position, 
get a BOMA certification. So that's Building Owners Management Association. So they taught things like real estate law, uh, building, construction, just really general. There was 11 courses. It was like a, a two-year range that you had to complete it. And I said, I don't know if I have time or the commitment to do this. And then the general manager, she was just uh, wonderful. Ellen Sinclair, she's been a mentor uh, my whole entire career, still is. She said, first of all, we have to do it because they're asking us to do it and they're owners. Second of all, it's not going to take two years because I don't want to do anything for two years. <laughs> We're going to do this in one year. Uh, you know, buckled up and took care of it. And it was good. It was something else that helped uh, further my education. Was that something you, you had to go somewhere and take? No, there was 11 books and we had to study and then someone came and proctored a test oh, for you. us. And, and that happened at AT&T because they had a lot of their uh, corporate people that were doing it also. So I don't remember exactly what the date was, but we would have multiple groups that would come in from around the country because they wanted to see the new conference center. They wanted to see the technology and get an understanding. Well, there was a group uh, that came from Chattanooga. And uh, we were in a private dining room and we were talking. Uh, they had some tours and they looked through the property to get a, an understanding. And then that developed into a relationship and Benchmark was chosen as the management company for the Chattanooga Hotel that was going to be built. And a lot of people may not remember that the Chattanooga Hotel was partly owned by the city of Chattanooga. That's correct. So uh, when they came and they talked about it, at the time, I was doing task force staff support for the company in the property operations realm. So I go to different properties. They called it audits, but it was really a sharing of best practices. What are they doing? How can we help get them to be more profitable and making sure that they're protecting the asset? So it was set up that I would go to Chattanooga and I would help out in the beginning process. So this is before it was built. Our offices were actually across the street. And at the time, there was, I'm sure you remember, there was cranes all over Chattanooga. It was building quickly, and it was exciting times. So I was there maybe two weeks. I was there three weeks before I went home the first time. But about two weeks, I called up my wife, and I said, you're not going to believe this. I love this place. <laughs> I think we should move here. And all I heard was, Chattanooga? <laughs> I said, absolutely. I came home, we talked more about it, and then I talked to my boss about it, and it was an opportunity for me. I came to the Chattanooga Hotel as director of operations, not property operations anymore, with uh, multiple uh, positions reporting to me in the operations side. And I think the company believed it was good because I was a true believer in the culture of the company at the time, and they wanted to make sure that I could do that. So You helped set the tone here. Hopefully. So I ended up moving to Chattanooga with my family. I came in 2000. The property opened in April of 2001. And uh, after about two years, I knew I was ready for my next stop, hopefully GM. Well, be the GM at the Chattanooga wasn't looking as a possibility. So uh, again, back to task force and I traveled. I went to a property in Minneapolis. I was there for about four months as temporary GM, and it went really well. Had a great relationship with the owner in a short amount of time. And I was asked if I wanted to move there. And my wife came up, drove around. The owner took us around. He was really nice. She says, there's no way we're moving to Minneapolis. And I said, <laughs> I know. And by the way, it was winter at this time. So 
I was hard to sell. I was working hard at it, but... It's like trying to sell Phoenix in the summer when it's 120. Mike, it was 20 below with the wind chill. Yeah. It was so cold. Did they tell you they have tunnels going in between <laughs> office buildings so you don't have to go outside? Well, yeah. <laughs> so, but again, another learning experience, and I proved that I could do it, so I proved myself. Came back to Chattanooga, and I sort of felt like, you know, I was starting to become the uh, fish in the pond, not sure where to go. Because you're still the director of operations. That's right. So uh, another position came up in Toronto, the Kingbridge Center, which is a hotel and conference center owned by John Abley, who owned uh, Boston Scientific. He is one of the uh, partners there. So I got up there and I got to meet with him. I was interim GM there for almost six months. Again, another winter. Toronto is an amazing city, very clean, uh, very diverse. It was just a lot of fun. Wife came up again, took her around, showed her, you know, absolutely beautiful. And she looked at me and she said, you know, this is another country. <laughs> so I uh, came back to Chattanooga again. And shortly after a position opened up. But let me ask you a quick question before that. How important is it for you to be able to tell your boss no? You know, because you're in Minneapolis, they would be thrilled if you take that position. You're in Toronto, they'd be thrilled you take that position. But didn't seem to be a fit because there's a lot of people that would say, I got to do this. What I can say about our industry and that company that was really important to me also, they cared about the employees. They really did. And the fact is, and it took me a long time to learn this, most people in positions to be successful, a lot of it is about the right fit. Sometimes that right fit is geographical. Sometimes it's the right fit of the people that they're with. It's all about the chemistry of the team that makes people successful. So no, I never heard you had to do this. It was always opportunities. And again, we're back to the opportunity thing. And then I had to figure out what was best for my career. So I was struggling because I wanted so much to be back in Chattanooga. The plan was always, I'm going to do what I have to do. I can get back to Chattanooga. So how'd you do that? The uh, next position came up at Virginia Crossings Resort, which was right outside Richmond. And it was a long shot, a reach for me to get that position. It was owned by Cornerstone, which was a real estate investment arm for Mass Mutual, working with an asset manager. Now it's different than an owner, right? Now they have goals. Their goals are they, they have to uh, make money, Yeah. however you shake it. So I think some people at my company thought I would have an interview. It would be a courtesy interview. So we met for breakfast. And uh, we were still sitting at the same table one o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> so we had breakfast and lunch. And then uh, my boss came by and said, well, how do you think it went? I said, I guess it went well. It was the longest breakfast I've ever had. <laughs> she said, well, it did go well because they want to hire you. So that position opened up. Talked to my family, including the children were sort of spread out. My daughter was in GPS. Oldest son, Tom, was just getting ready to start college. and my youngest was at Macaulay and they wanted no part of it. They said, you never should have brought us to a place like this if you wanted to leave. <laughs> of course, we had to figure it out. I ended up going to Virginia Crossings. I was there for about a year by myself, bought a house. I had a TV. I had a love seat and I had a bar stool. That was my furniture in a four bedroom house. Sounds like all you need. And then I went and washed my clothes once uh, about 11 o'clock at night, and I called my wife the next day. said, I'm buying a washer and dryer because <laughs> I'm never doing this again. Yeah, a little bit challenging that first year. So how long were you in Virginia? 
I was in Virginia for three years. And uh, at the end of that, that property is actually being sold. Now, not that they wanted to flip it on purpose, and that was their business model, but the business model dictates, you know, what is the best thing. If someone says, I'm going to offer you X, you got to take everything's for sale. That's right. Again, back to that's the hardest part of working for a management company because you work so hard to build these teams and they can be sold. They can go away. They can be different owners. So uh, there was another property that we were working in Bethesda, Maryland. That was with Lockheed Martin. So I was involved in that project going back and forth there. And I was pretty confident I did not want to move there. But again, it was an amazing project, amazing company. So I started thinking about it in those terms of grow my career a little more. But then the uh, GM at the Chattanooga was ready for his next step, and he ended up moving. He left the company, and there was an opening here, and they asked me if I would consider that. So there's nothing I wanted more than that. That was in 2008, and then I was the general manager at the Chattanooga for 10 years. And I have to say, my whole entire career, all the things that I did, it was probably the biggest honor I've ever had was to be there and work with the city at times, work with members of the community. It was so exciting to see a Volkswagen when they came. We hosted a lot of them. We, had, we hosted a lot of meetings. And there was a lot of goals there. Some of them were very lofty. But representing the city was the most important thing to me. Well, you were a staple at the Chattanooga. Then they sold the hotel. That's right. They sold it uh, to Ascent Hospitality, a great company. They did a lot of renovations there. The property is absolutely beautiful. And that is now a staple in the south side. And was that a catalyst to bring in private money like the original plan? Absolutely. Was that the only reason? Of course not. There's a lot of reasons, but more ways than one, the Chattanooga was a catalyst at the time. They gave uh, private money an opportunity and I guess a little more confidence to build in the South Side. Yeah. So after the city sold the hotel, you stayed with Benchmark and did what? And I know you've left Chattanooga again for a second time. So that was definitely the hardest crossroad in my career because I started getting closer to the finish line and I did not want to leave Chattanooga. So my son, I have three grandchildren and and my daughter also moved back to Tennessee. She's up in Johnson City area. My youngest is in Atlanta. The last thing in the world I wanted to was leave. But again, I was close to the finish line and staying with them made a lot of sense. I was regional managing director at the time. I had oversight of some other properties, including the Hotel Roanoke, where I gave primarily guidance. They have a general manager there who's great. They have an amazing team there. And uh, the Inn at Virginia Tech, so very high profile, really amazing people to work with. So it was a great property to work at. The Virginia Tech Foundation is located right there in Blacksburg. So I would have meetings with them regarding Hotel Roanoke. And then the Inn was located right on the campus. And I told uh, my wife at the time, two years, maximum will be here two years. Not your wife at the time. <laughs> at the time you told your wife. Uh, yeah, there you go. Thank you for correcting there. But yes, we're four, 41 years. So uh, Things went really well at Virginia Tech, but it turned into four years and we said that was enough. Then they said, well, what are you going to do next? We have other things, but you're going to have to relocate. I had no desire to relocate and I thought we could figure out a plan and I'll just retire. So I put in my retirement a year ago, January, and we talked about me continuing doing uh, contract work or task force. And I said, absolutely. Benchmark was 
just finished the merger, which has gone incredible with Pyramid. Now they're Pyramid Global Hospitality. Amazing company, but now it's huge. There's 260 plus hotels. I was on a road almost nine months and the plan was to be back in Chattanooga. So then I retired again this past January. So to prove that uh, you haven't done retirement very well, you quit the task force lifestyle and on the road and you're back in Chattanooga, but you're not retired. No, sir. So I, uh, the contract thing was working really well for me. And I was involved for about 15 years with a fundraiser called Duck Day. It's a golf outing for Macaulay School. And another one of the board members, Roshan Amin, president and CEO of Dynamic uh, Group right here in Chattanooga, and his partner, Bob. We had a couple of conversations and he said, I'd love for you to come work for my company. And I told him about the contract thing. And I have some plans, things that I'm still working on personally right now. So I'm working with them on their regional director of operations. I'm really enjoying my time there. And after having multiple conversations with Roshan, he really brought me back to the reason that I started in the industry about the passion. And I hear it in his voice and the things that he's saying about creating opportunities for employees, about growing them, about growing the company. So it's so exciting to hear. Yeah, you get to you get to build it again. That's right. What's the attraction to Chattanooga for you? You know, it's so many things. Uh, one is the tourism side of it. It's an incredible place to come and visit. But the years of timing that locals have put into making this a great place, it's been developed and created to a place where all the locals love it. And people come here to visit to do what we do. And when you go to different uh, locations, whether it's the parks or the restaurants, you see all the locals. It's hard to go somewhere and not see someone that you don't know. And the fact that there's local support is amazing. Now, a lot of the trips that I've been in, the properties I've been to, to tourist areas, most of the locals say, don't go out on Friday nights. Never go shopping on Wednesday. Don't go down this road. Always go. <laughs> and I would never want to live like that. Yeah, it's a good place. A couple more questions. What's your big takeaway on your career? If you could sit down when you were starting from a career perspective, what is the thing that you would say to focus on? To get as much experience as possible. I think people coming out of school, no matter how much education they have, be realistic in your expectations as far as how much you're going to get paid. But don't think of it as you're being underpaid. Think of it as, well, I'm learning. Not only am I learning all this stuff, I'm getting paid to do it. Yeah. And it's hard to do that. It's really hard because you still have to pay your bills. But think of it in those terms because you're going to learn so much. As you create value for your company, you'll create value for yourself at the same time. So related to that last question, you need to think about this a second. What would you tell your 25-year-old self is important for a happy life? Beyond the career, what's important to you're starting out? You know you got to do those things. you got to learn. But happy life's important. So how do you do that? You hear it all the time, and it's so true. It's all about balance. When people tell you about how fast things go, how quickly your children are going to grow, how old you're going to get so fast, <laughs> uh, it's about balance. And making sure that balance with your family, balance with your community, and making sure that you're giving back to your community, 
in balance with your work. I think those are the three most important things. And that's another thing that makes Chattanooga an amazing place. The fact that so many people give back to the community. Well, you know what, Tom? Chattanooga's lucky to have you. Glad you're back. And uh, thanks for taking time to talk to us. Hey, thanks so much. Been a real pleasure. Thanks for listening to My Morning Cup, a podcast by Costa Media Advisors. If you liked this episode, please share it with a friend. I release a new episode each week, so be sure to subscribe on Spotify, Apple, Google, or wherever you listen to podcasts.